We all know being an entrepreneur is hard and comes with lots of mental challenges and confidence struggles. For me, I've dealt with imposter syndrome and found that talking to someone has helped me find myself and strengthen my confidence. It can be difficult to navigate it on your own. Now, because of professional therapists, you don't have to. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp can give you tools to approach your life in a very different way. No matter where you are, you can talk to a professional therapist that fits your unique needs and an affordable cost. Just fill out a few questions and BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in just days. Put yourself first and use BetterHelp services today and you will receive 10% off your first month of BetterHelp. Use the link in the description below this show. You deserve to be happy too. Use the link betterhelp.com slash NYC meets Bama. Again, betterhelp, H-E-L-P slash NYC meets Bama. BetterHelp wants all of you to be as successful as possible and help you reach your fullest potential. Connect with the therapist today. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is Chris Merriman, your host with New York City Meets Bama with... Katerina. <laughs> what you tell everybody what we did last week? Oh, we went to Vegas. That was really fun. Yeah, meet some old friends. We actually went in for a mastermind and, you know, Vegas doesn't sleep at nighttime, so mastermind was all day and we stayed up all night and... I think you got to recover on Monday. I don't. I don't yeah, think I was I just gonna say I catched up on my sleep for sure, more than I wanted to. But it, it was my fault. I didn't set an alarm, so. But. I, I tried to wake you up. There was no really? alarm. Really? Yeah, it didn't matter. It didn't um, matter what you had. Mm. <laughs> well, we went to Vegas for a mastermind, and then I also pitched my social media package, and that was a first beginner class and I sold out so it was great yeah. and now I'm debating if I want to continue it have yeah. it launch again I know I have other things in the wrap so you guys will hear from me some more of that but yeah yeah it was good yeah we got some pretty good insight for some of the franchise and uh other models that we're looking at building out besides our real estate investing so it was good as always it's a strong mastermind with uh with Paul Fink as you can imagine Oh my gosh. Hi, Dad. He's going to hear this and be like, that was me. <laughs> but yeah, and so I got to recap you guys on the dog situation. So with the dog, we his sister has two dogs that she was breeding. And one of the dogs gave birth already. The other dog hadn't gave birth yet. And that was like the cuter, nicer dog. And so his sister was like, you want her dogs, not the other dog's litter. So we had to wait and they were just born the other day and they were five ounces when they were born. They were like three inches long. They were so cute. <laughs> they were so thinking cute. And so now we're excited. So we're supposed to get her around the last day in October. So Halloween. Spooky. Yeah. Oh, we got a lot of traveling plans in October. That'll be uh, some fun releases that we do. So we're excited about all that. But you won't get to see it until it's time, so we'll hold it in, but you ready to get this thing rocking? Yeah. I mean, it's just going to be Chris and I today, so you're welcome. But 
it is going to be Chris and I, and I am going to be interviewing Christopher because he's an interesting person. Not a lot of people know that, but when he talks, he talks, and he is full of lots of information. Right, Chris? <laughs> yes. So let's get into it. I would like you to share with everyone. Can you share your journey from leaving the corporate world and beginning a successful real estate investing business? Yeah, so with that, I was an interesting case. I actually started out, started out as self-employed and then went to the corporate world and then back to an entrepreneur. And why those are all three different was I started out as a handyman, ran my handyman service at 16 to 18, and then kept that contracting growing. And I actually got my first flip, started 18, didn't finish it till I was 20 or close to 21, something like that. And it was so harsh on me of a process because I was just had no knowledge, didn't understand what to do and made a ton of mistakes along the way that I ended up stopping that and going to get a job. And yeah, I know. Come on, man. I know, I know. Yeah, that was the problem with it. And then from the corporate world, I stayed there for about a year. In that process, I learned that the job was way worse. So I just gotten through so much trauma or whatever I couldn't handle as a self-employed individual that uh, the corporate world made better sense. And for the first like 60 or 90 days of the job, I really enjoyed it. Like I was happy to have a steady income. Really? All my stresses were on. Yeah, it was nice for a minute because of what I was like, the reason why I came to the job. I was okay with it at that point. But soon after it started to weigh on me, started to feel that rut that I was stuck. Everybody's mindset was different. And it was just started to weigh on me where I was ready to get out of there. And so I started to work that way. And yeah, it was a hard battle to leave the job. Even though I'd only been there, for less than a year, the process to become an entrepreneur again and accept that stress that I felt because I didn't know how to handle it or what my emotions would do was brutal. And uh, finally, after 12 months, I actually started to utilize my W-2 job to buy some properties. And once my banker cut me off, I decided to go full-fledged full into it, full force. And uh, it was something that I still don't regret. There's no way I could ever go back to having a W-2 or a day job again. It's just not possible. Once you felt this kind of freedom and you understand how to regulate your own emotions and how to deal with this process, because it's just a process like everything else. It's something that no one can take away from you and that there's no way that I would take it away from myself. So so let's back up, back up a little bit. What do you mean by your banker cut you off? Yeah, so because I had the W-2 job, I realized, hey, I can utilize this to buy um, investment properties. Right. And I'd gotten five or six with him. I think it was the sixth one that he was cutting you me off You can on. get that many? Yeah. Yeah. So we would uh, utilize something called the Burr strategy, which is buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. And to do so, we'd lock up properties. I'd already learned about private money while I was at my day job. And there's you have so much opportunity while you're at a W-2 job for people who are retiring and leaving the force and have retirement accounts set up that once you learn how to have these harder conversations or they feel hard at first, but they're not. You can really utilize that. But anyways, we would buy them with private money, renovate them, and then we'd go in for an appraisal, rent them, refinance them. And because of that, we were creating equity, right? We were doing repairs to them. And then we'd walk away from the closing table with you know ten to $40,000 of money refinanced that we could then use on the down payment of the next property and the next property. And I did that for six properties until my banker told me, no, no more. And at the time, I was uneducated. I didn't know where else to go because I could have just started swapping to other local banks and things like that. Didn't utilize it and I was so ready to leave my job. Actually quit two weeks before our final closing was over with and just prayed that the banker didn't find out because I was not waiting any longer. Hmm. Yeah, 
It was fun stuff. So what's the difference between having the job and working for yourself that you actually felt the difference and what really caused you to move back to being a entrepreneur? Oh my gosh, I felt so closed off. Like the world was no longer at my fingertips anymore. Couldn't go do or, or anything that I pleased or wanted. And I couldn't strive to get it either, right? I was locked in. I was making 25 bucks an hour and that was like, that's what I was going to do. There was no upside. There was, I couldn't plan for being 65 or 70 and having a retirement account. Finally, that just wasn't my game. And the benefit of as soon as I quit, the relief I had of me that the world was opened up is like a cage got taken off of me, you know? And whenever that cage came off of me, I realized that there's just no way to put myself in that situation again because I would rather, at that time I was thinking I'd rather be broke than be back in the cage. And that drove me, drove me to where I am now, where you know we're, we've got money, we've got access to everything, and, and the world's still at my fingertips. We can still keep growing as fast as we want to. No one's putting a limit on us at this point. That's really what feeds me, what drives me to keep going, is that I know that I can have exactly what I work for, and I can keep striving till I get it. Yeah. So, what were your initial challenges you faced when you started your venture in real estate, and how did you overcome it? So the first time I started, pre the W-2 job, it was, uh, <laughs> I had all the challenges, like whether it was time, money, knowledge, all of it. Like I didn't have credit, didn't have, uh, well, I guess I did have time, except for I was having to work 90 to 120 hours a week inside my handyman jobs to make any, make any money at it because I was under quoting, under bidding everything. So that was struggling. And money, obviously, that was getting either spent to the rehab or spent hiring employees and getting tools and things for the for the new started business that we had. And knowledge, I had nothing except for just drive. All I had was drive, no knowledge. And, but that really ties into what I've learned now that's really the only three pieces that you need to start a business is understanding where you lack at and what you need because there's three pieces, right? Time, money, and knowledge. And if you have the time and then someone else has the knowledge of money, then you can function, right? You can move forward with that. That's whenever you'd bring in a partner. Or if you have the knowledge and time, someone else has the money, great. That's the three pieces that you need, right? But you gotta be able to fill those three in some way where everything drags out. That's why a flip that could take me, you know, a month and a half now took two years. Because I was lacking all these pieces that were necessary to move forward. And but through the process I gained a lot of knowledge. So with the time that I used, I gained a lot of knowledge. And the money we suffered with for a year and a half, actually it was about a year, and then I finally got my first private lender. That was one of those pieces of knowledge I picked up along the way. And we utilized his money to finally finish the project, or it would have took me six years to finish the house because we were just running on fumes all the time. And uh, yeah, that was sort of our first leap into the business was figuring out those three pillars and that's how to build it. I just been went through so much during that two year time frame that I was like, this is not for me. Obviously I'm not cut out or qualified to do this. Let's go get a job, which obviously was a mistake, but. Yeah. Oh, well you had to learn somehow, Christopher. <laughs> As someone who manages multiple deals every month, as I know, he's constantly on the phone. How do you ensure that you have a constant pipeline of opportunities? Uh, yeah, so Alex Ramonzi normally says, uh, if you've got leads consistently, your life gets easier. And that's 100% correct. So correlating that over to a strict real estate business, you know, if you can figure out how to find the deals, then the money will come, the knowledge will come, everything else yeah. that you need will come, right? You can bring in a partner that has those other features 
So if you only had one piece of the puzzle to go after, I would go for getting leads, right? The time portion that it needs to get the leads. And you'll have the knowledge come in and have the money. And then after those two come in, you'll eventually have all three pillars that you need down the road. But that's the most valuable because it's always something that will be of need no matter what. Uh, if money gets cheaper, it doesn't affect that, you know, if you have the lead, you can still get access to it, right? So it's what you want all the time. How did you find the leads? How do I find the leads? So in our case, I got tired of the normal models that were taught, that were scaled out where you have 10,000 leads, you get them all, you skip trace them all, you cold call them and track your KPIs and get a 2% close rate and all that jazz. That wasn't really good for me because I like to build a business with the end in mind. And I thought as soon as the real estate market changes, all these guys are going to go broke because there's no way you can uphold this infrastructure. If this is your model, mm -hmm. even if you were holding the properties or just wholesaling, selling, flipping and whatever it was, the model didn't make sense because how much overhead it would take. And in a market that was transitioning, you wouldn't have anything to uphold yourself. You'd run out of money. There's just no way. So we went for a model that I refer to as deep prospecting. So we, we handle problem properties whether they come from having uh, strong motivations like probate or pre-foreclosure or um, they've got bankruptcy and divorce involved. We go after some highly curated list, arrest records, um, things that people don't normally go after and don't talk about as much. You hear it, but nobody actually does it because I know that where we'd have more competition where I'm at. So we take these leads, stack the paint on them. So if there's, what that means is that if there's two motivations on it, now we'll start looking at that property. If it's just pre-foreclosure with nothing underlying like a bankruptcy or divorce, anything like that, I'm not going to mess with it. That's not my property until I've exhausted my other leads. So once we have that stack pain list, that's all we target. And we use our much smaller marketing dollars to go after those properties only. Because whenever I get a call from one of them, we're probably going to close it, right? We've got a substantially higher close rate because you know we're going to close like 6 out of 10. It's pretty aggressive because we go after such a small list. On our first curated list, six out of 10, and it starts you know, backing off as we get deeper into our list. But it's a lot better than calling everybody on the planet, hoping they sell, and our deals, our margins are so much larger as well because we're not fighting 16 other wholesalers that are giving them 70 cents, 80 cents on the dollar offer. We're typically by ourselves and just getting to talk one-on-one with the, with the seller. So it's what we have utilized. Yeah, I feel like for those who are in other industries, just knowing every single part of your company and knowing the ins and outs of it will let you kind of manipulate it and figure out what works best for you. And that's exactly what Chris did. Yeah, look outside the box a little bit. Don't mm -hmm. just follow the crowd. Yeah. Could you share with us some strategies you have with scaling your real estate business? Some of the strategies that we have scaling our real estate business. Well, I guess a lot of it starts with mindset, with scalability, and, and some knowledge as well. But I've learned that into the beginning, I was a hustler, and I kind of disagree with that mantra now. Now, I prefer to outwork instead of out-hustle, meaning I've got friends or colleagues that I've watched to the past that went from being a real estate investor to all of a sudden they were a realtor, to all of a sudden they ran a cleaning company, <laughs> to all of a sudden they do spray tans or whatever it is, right? Nothing, like Some things just don't make sense. Like, yeah. why are you bouncing around so much? and nobody chose to niche down. Whereas I realized, hey, I didn't like the model that a lot of people were following. They had no direct audience or avatar. So I went to breaking down what we did to create a niched avatar. And that's what I would suggest for anybody that instead of trying to be good at everything and, and attacking it like a shotgun, let's just get a laser in approach. Once you've tested out everything and know what's available to you, 
niche it down, identify what is going to work for you, where you can get consistent leads and what you want to be an expert in, because you'll typically be at the top of your area if you niche down in something aggressive enough. And I prefer that over fighting the crowd. It's just, uh, it's not necessary to go through that headache and hustle. That's kind of the same with a lot of industries, especially social media. Like they, everyone says niche down and that's how you're going to find your people and create a community. And that's exactly what you did. Yeah. It's hard for people because going after new ideas gives you like an emotional high. Like yeah. these guys, these marketers out here will go like, oh, they'll teach you how to wholesaling houses. Okay, guys, wholesaling houses isn't working no more. Now we're doing astro flipping or whatever it is, right? It's, it ends up, it's all the same process. But because they use a new trigger word that you haven't heard of, it gives you an emotional high to go by. And that's what their goal is. And that's what most people do, though. And they need to recognize that whenever you're living through this process that, hey, you can't just chase all the all the sparkles, right? You can't go after all that stuff all the time. Learn what you have. Niche down. Just do the work. Move forward. Yeah. What advice would you give someone that is debating on going into real estate but currently has a corporate job? Oh, that beautiful W-2 job. So, <laughs> um, if you were stuck there, run. No, I'm kidding. Take your time, analyze for a second, and know that your W-2 job, if you're specifically going into real estate, um, you have some access with it. The same way I was utilizing it to buy investment properties, you can too at a much higher scale. I only knew to go to my one banker. I was a kid. He finally said yes. I'd already applied to a few banks that turned me down. And Yeah, uh, wait. How old were you? I was still 21. 21, 22, something like that. You were a baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we went through that process, and uh, you can also utilize an FHA loan if you haven't to the past like year or two. You know, you'd have to ask a mortgage broker, but to buy up to a four-unit property as your primary residence, so you can get a multifamily residence as well as several investment properties if you utilize your W-2 job while you're there. So it will help stabilize your income for the transition before you even leave. So be aware utilize it don't just run out well you can just run out and quit i wouldn't be against it but there it does have some benefits that you can't utilize outside the problem with that is don't let it hold you back don't train yourself that oh my gosh i need this w-2 job for my health insurance or my retirement yeah. plan or to buy the rental properties right there's other ways there's dscr loans there's friends there's investors um there's a lot of other programs and options so as long as you don't let it narrow or limit your belief system and how you think about that W-2 job and let it anchor you to be stuck there, then it's it can be a very useful tool while you're transitioning over. So can you give us some mindset shifts that will help people transition from employee to self-employed to a business owner? Self-employed to a business owner. Um, yes. Yeah, so a book that I read was called The E-Myth and that pretty powerful lesson for me. It's called the entre what chris can't lie did you actually read it i read most of it <laughs> okay so i'm a deep personality no, literally type. last night chris was like oh, i have all these books i haven't read any of them and i'm like I'm now he says i read this whole book okay i'm bad about Sorry. skimming through books so if i see the highlights and get what i need then, th then i'm gonna move forward on it so i'm a deep personality type like once i know what to do i'm gonna take action i'm Let's results driven for those that haven't heard our second episode with Paul Fink about the DISC personality test, why don't you give our audience a brief description of what the DISC personality test is? Yeah, so it's something everybody should analyze because it's a, it's a simpler way to identify personality types because it's only got four quadrants. And if you're, you know, whether you're in a relationship, looking at business partners, employees, 
sales conversations, whatever it is, it's a super essential tool because it lets you break a person down into one of four categories in a you know within thirty seconds of speaking yeah. with them. And it lets you know whether somebody is a uh, a D, which is someone who's uh, results driven. Every action that they take is to get the end result. That is all they're driving to all the time. And I, they're more the partier, right? They're more of influence. They want to be the center of the limelight and whatnot. So they're they're, they're, they're your influencers. They are your superstars. Yes. Your people who constantly want to go out and party. They're the loudest person in the room, but you need to know that though, because you know, they're pretty powerful salespeople. They do good on stage. Like there's a lot of strengths yeah. there that you should be aware of and, and how you work with them. And uh, you have uh, S as well, which is like your caretakers, your people who you want on your team because they'll cater to your needs and they think of others' emotions first, right? They'll cater to your customers. Exactly. So customer relations is really important for that. Yes. Then you've got C. The C is the analytical, the guy who's going to keep your number safe, right? He's typically like an accountant or something like that. He's watching the spreadsheets. He's very to the T on it. Quiet. Come out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They're typically pretty reserved and they're all, again, though, they're results driven closer to a D, but they are better at keeping track of everything. Where a D is more violent approach, just yeah. fast, go for it. The results right there, let's get to it. He may cause chaos in the way, but he's going to get it. If you haven't noticed, Chris is a D, and I am an I, so we're a perfect match. <laughs> yes, we are. We work well together. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to what you were saying. So D personality type, and you were talking about the difference between self-employed, employed, and how the mindset shift. Yeah, so there are going to be huge mindset shifts. shifts throughout <laughs> this journey. So. I just think, sorry, I think I just went back to my first house again. It was rough. <laughs> Chris, like, has these moments where he's literally, like, talking, and then he just won't talk and stare in space. And it's because he's having, like, full-on conversations in his head with someone else. Yeah, I'm, I'm living through the process, right? It's something I do a lot. I go into, like, a, a third-person view of the world. Like... <laughs> That's so creepy. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, sometimes you got to stand back and analyze what's going on around you for a second. But uh, yeah, so with the mindset shifts that you're going to have, you need to be aware that there's going to be some external changes as well, right? You're going to have that steady income that you've been adapt to, that's then going to go away. And you have to learn how to feel some faith and trust in yourself, right? Like a lot of people think once I get to this number per month or dollar amount or whatever it is, because that's what we're all trained by, all these gurus and stuff that, okay, then you're safe, then you're secure. But the reality is if you're still growing, you're still probably going to spend a large chunk of money and you're always going to feel like it's unsafe because things can change in the market. The only thing that'll make you feel truly safe is having trust in yourself that, hey, whenever things change, I'll change. No big deal. So what, it'll be 30 days that, you know, it'll be a little rough for a minute, but we'll already be into the transition. It'll be good to go. So whether your piggy bank can be up, down, doesn't matter, right? Your credit score can be up, down, doesn't matter. As long as you are the anchor of your own personal beliefs and how the world works around you and you can lean on yourself, then you're going to be in good shape, right? That's a huge piece of it to understand. And living with an infinite mindset and not a finite, meaning if everybody's like, oh, once I get to this number, well, that's a very, or this dollar amount making, then that's a very finite mindset. But if it's infinite saying, hey, I just want to be the best business owner I can be, and I'm going to keep going for this, yeah. it keeps you steady rocking where you're not always barely fighting that finite you know, example. So, yeah. Really good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so what habits or routines have you think played a critical role in your entrepreneurial journey? What habits or 
So what habits or routines have you created that you think made a impact on your journey as an entrepreneur? Habits or routines? That's uh, interesting. So a lot of it is trusting in myself. So I would say that I don't agree with all the habits or the millionaire morning routine and things like that. So I disagree that you have to be perfect, right? You don't have to wake up, read a book, journal, jump into an ice bath or a tub or whatever the heck it is, you know, like have all these things done before 6 a.m. So for you, that, what'd you call it? The millionaire? Millionaire morning routine or whatever. Okay, so for your girls like our age it's the that girl morning routine you do not need to be the that girl to have a successful day or to succeed as an entrepreneur that's yes, definitely agree. not it agree yes. yeah so what would you think determines being successful and what routines do you have that you think are better than the that girl or the millionaire morning routine I don't think you have to have a particular habit or routine. The purpose those were created was for the masses to understand what's necessary, what's needed, right? Like there's a process, there's a reason journaling is a thing because it helps you get your thoughts out on paper to take actionable steps. But if you can internalize those thoughts and create actionable steps, well then you don't have to journal each morning, right? It's to train people processes. They make you get an ice bath, <laughs> an ice bath because it's hard, right? It's, it's, um, it's freezing cold and nobody wants to do it. It helps teach you discipline. Right? You read a book to gain knowledge. You need to be self-improving all the time. These are things that they put in place to keep you doing it daily, right? You knock it all, yeah. all out in the morning. That way it's over with. So are you, you saying you're perfect already and that's why you don't need these things? That's not what I said. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, sounds like it to me. No, but what things for you do you think that you do every day, every week that help you lead to the next step, let's say? What things I do consistently? Yeah personal development and working on my business and not inside of it. So as sometimes you're gonna get drugged into the business and not staying locked into it, like now you're an employee to it. So staying on my mentor calls, reaching out to my coaches, things like that, helps keep me consistent and drug out of the inworks of my business. So if I didn't have those, I'd probably just be drugged in like everyone else. I would need ice baths. I would need to journal and things to pull me back out of it. Yeah. So those are pretty much the free options to keep everybody going in their own route. Yeah. So what would you tell someone that has never had a coach or had any mentorship at all, but was considering it? What would, advice would you share with them? Mm, they have to. But I mean, if they want to do this before they're 65 and want to save a lot of headache, unless they're already, they're perfect and they know what to do and they don't need any help. Which, which doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. A lot of people have that mindset. Mm -hmm. They're like, I don't need a coach. I already know what to do. Well, really you have a direction you can go and that's awesome. Whether that direction is going to be easier, harder, if you're going to make mistakes along yeah. the way, that uh, having a mentor could resolve a lot and save you a lot of time. Yeah. That's what it would do. So if you're okay with taking the hard path and doing it, get it knocked out. Maybe you don't have to have a mentor, but if you want to expect time and create a route worth traveling and create goals that you never knew were achievable, you have to have a mentor because you need the knowledge in front of you from all these individuals. That's what you're doing is compounding time, right? You're paying to get time back. That's the process. That's a good way to put it. You're definitely investing in yourself. Yeah. And it's worth the investment no matter how much it is. Absolutely. How do you maintain a balance between personal growth and business growth given the demanding nature of entrepreneurship? <laughs> You live one life, and I would say it's all personal development, which leads to business growth. 
So with that being said, everything is personal development in that aspect. So if you're gaining knowledge, it's you personally being better at what you do day to day that will equivalent to your business growing. So that's how I balance the two is knowing that every time I spend money on a mentorship, that's my personal growth and my business will grow as effective. It even if my business doesn't numerically grow, meaning we don't create any more income or revenue, I now have learned enough to know which route to take now. Right. So even if I didn't learn what I needed to propel forward, I know what to stay away from and how to keep moving forward. Yeah, and I think also personal growth doesn't mean so much like you went to therapy and that's how you grew. Like it could literally be you found a new group of friends and they help you grow in a different way than the friends that you currently have. And that can directly impact how you perform in your job or as a entrepreneur. Even though it's not showing in the numbers, it could show in the quality of the person you are and how dedicated you are to your work. Yeah, exactly. At the beginning of a business, you know, if you've accepted that, hey, this isn't going to make money right now because you're dumping all the money back into it and working hard to figure out or fine-tune a product or whatever it is, then uh, that's that's a good mindset to have because really, in today's world, we're, we're the influencer age, right? You've got access to all the information you need probably not just on YouTube. It's just whether or not you can implement properly or you choose to keep implementing. There's a lot of... Uh, a lot of mindset issues that come around that and that's why that personal growth is so important because if that's if you can't evolve in front of your business one of the two will fail and either one that fails equals that you you gave up right and that's that's what equaled the failures because you either emotionally couldn't handle it or your business couldn't financially handle it one of the two and you have to maintain both those but i choose to utilize my personal growth to allow my business to grow so as an entrepreneur, have you faced any challenges or any failures throughout the years? Yes, I faced challenges. Yes, failures. The only one that I would consider a failure was that first deal because I chose to quit and that, that is what equals a failure. Did I get a lot of valuable lessons out of that time off that I took, I guess, to join my corporate world? Yes, I did. Yeah, that's why I could never go back. There's, It was a good learning experience because uh, I realized this is definitely the better route. And now that I know how to systematize and scale my current lifestyle, my business, that's, there's no way anybody can take it away from me. Yeah. Like there may be ups and downs, but it's, it's never going to be taken away. And it's knowledge. They can't take your knowledge away from you. Even if they took everything that you have in your business right now, you always have the knowledge you can always rebuild. Yeah, that's why all the millionaires say that. You know, if yeah. you took it all away, I'd rebuild it in a year because now it took you all that time to build the knowledge base and now you can rebuild it. That's the same concept of having a mentor, right? It took you, instead of three years to learn this process, you hired one guy for three months, he taught you everything, and now you can do it again because you just compressed time. And yeah, so challenges, was a challenge is not even like, it's not even a bother to anymore. What used to stress me out or I think, like oh my God. Like talking? Yes, like talking. Like I used to nearly be a mute. So I didn't talk in school. You wouldn't get me on a microphone. Definitely wouldn't get me on a stage, right? So it, uh, it took me some time to get used to, right? So those stressors that you feel are challenges that you're having, they're very minute. You just need to be able to look at the world and think, hey, if I zoomed out on the world, it would be really little. Well, that's the same thing with your problems, right? That's why Kat talks about me zoning out and I'm sitting there staring off into space because I'm looking at my, because I, I probably had a moment where I was like, man, I'm feeling some tension. And then if you just zoom out to a third person view. Is that really what you do? Yeah, it's really. You think of us in our little rooms, it like our little dolls? Like literally just zoom out and be like, okay, what's my big picture, right? Will this matter whenever I'm 60 years old? Will it matter in two years? No, it doesn't freaking matter. Let's just move through it then. It's not a problem anymore. Because you think like, oh my God, it's a problem today because your urgency mindset's having issues. 
Well, then just zoom out, think about it, like, no. Okay, then just work through it step by step because it's not really a problem. It's just a thing going on today before you watch the ball game. Like how I tell you to take off your shoes. Yes, yes. <laughs> In the house. So much stress is caused from that. I just zoom out and think, it's okay. She's going to be a great mama. Jeez. Yeah, I will. <laughs> oh, okay, that's funny. How has networking and mentorship influenced the entrepreneur that you are today? Obviously, mentorship has played a, a massive role. I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in education. It's a huge part of why I can move faster than other people. It's the primary reason. Even at first, a lot of the information I was getting from the mentors, I could literally get for free on YouTube. But because I'd hired a mentor and spent some financials on it, you know, I, I expelled either bought stuff on credit cards, whatever it took for me to get these programs, that it forced me to implement, which forced me to learn all the smaller nuances so I could repeat it over and right. over again. Whereas somebody who watched on YouTube, they're like, oh, I, I could do that, but they never will, right? They, that's why they didn't take any action. So it put me in a position to definitely take action, and I was, I'm was, i pretty proud of what I got accomplished with that. And networking, which I was immune, so it took me a while to, <laughs> to get to where I'd communicate and start going to these rooms, but traveling and getting out of your own area was a huge piece for me that boosted my lifestyle, boosted who I was, how much I learned, how quickly, so fast, because... Once you learn that you know you have access to more than what's just around you, right? Because I came from a, a city or a, a town that had like 700 people in it. So if I would have stayed there and stayed in that little bubble, I could only scale so far. Even if I was the top dog inside that area, I was still a small fish. Once I went to the big pond, you know, got to the ocean, went to New York City to meet partners and friends and girlfriends and you know, whatever <laughs> it is, it was a powerful, life-changing moment for me that I would say you have to go to these events that are outside your area. You have to learn how to, well, you can drive like I did for the first year, but uh, flying is much simpler, so. <laughs> yeah, but don't be like him and buy the most expensive flight on Google. I didn't know. I thought flights were just really expensive. I was like, it's $2,000 to go anywhere, which is not the case. <laughs> no. The no. most we spend now is $700 if we book it the day before. <laughs> yeah, that's much better, yeah. So, so yeah, expand your horizons and it's a huge piece. Network, network, network. Learn how to save phone numbers in a way that you can remember them. You know, if you went to an event, save that person's name, what they did, where they're from, and the event that you were at. Because you'll want to roll back to these at some point whenever you're whether you're raising capital, whether you just need information, like that guy knows the answer. And all you think of is a face, good God, save the event. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So what essential qualities would you say a successful entrepreneur should have? I don't know if it's a quality, right? Like anybody can, I think it's again, mindset and adaptations to your surroundings. So adapt or die. Like, I don't know if you consider that a quality, but it's a, it's a mindset that you can have that gives you attributes to utilize. So if you can learn that adapt or die, which you don't have to physically die or anything, but learn that whenever markets change, Hey, you can lean on yourself. It's just time to adapt guys. We're going to change a little bit. The market's declining, so we need to target this type of lead only, and our money sources are running low, so let's go after this instead, or utilize this, or, or venture this way. So be comfortable with change, and you can move with the times, right? So it's something that coincides, something I've always said, or got taught at the beginning, because most people never start. They'll watch the YouTube videos, they'll go to the mentorship, they'll go to the boot camp, whatever it is, and they don't start if somebody's not pushing them. Yeah. And uh, so that came with me come up with the little phrase of, you know, fuck perfection. You can't be perfect up front. If I was to sit around and try to analyze all these leads and get everything dialed in just perfect, I would have never started, right? Just take one leap at a time, one step at a time, screw up a little bit, because, you know, what do you have to lose, really, like in the grand scheme of things? 
there's not that much that you have access to yet because you're going to build so much more. Even if you lost a portfolio of five houses, like hold on to your girlfriend from New York City. That's a that's a hard one to get back. But other than that, ah, <laughs> <laughs> Chris. Okay, can you share with us some insights on how to build and lead a team? Yes, so I can share some insights. I can't speak on scaling a seven-figure team just because I haven't done it yet. So that's uh, not where I'd be that expert in speaking about. But I can tell you how to start a team. The same way we're talking about DISC, you need to learn yourself, who you are as a person, how you interact with others. That way you can uh, create a team that serves and helps you build a business, right? If everybody's the exact same as you, then it's probably going to end up in a lot of fights and harsh discussions all the time. And you may not get served mm. the way you want to, right? So Imagine if we were both Ds. Oh, gosh, it'd be rough. I mean, like, I'm kind of a D sometimes, and it gets <laughs> tense. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we both want to get things done, which, it, you know, it can serve you. You just yeah. need to be aware of who you are. That way, when you zoom out and take that third-person view, you realize, hey, this is why we're having this interaction like this because we're both a very similar mindset and we're conflicting right now, right? Or mm -hmm. whether you're not the same mindset, why is the person who's an S is acting this way because we're about to possibly hurt someone's feelings, right? They don't want to move forward with that. I should just take over and do it, and or they shouldn't be in that position. Think, yeah. Things of that nature. So know how you interact with people from an emotional stance, personality-wise, things of that nature, and study that to be able to make accurate hires for your business. I make everybody that comes in the business, I made my girlfriend take the disc test before we got together, right? Like, it's that essential for communication. I would like to also add, he didn't know about it until he met my family and my father, so... You still had to take it. There was rules. Honey, I already took it before I met you. <laughs> I already know, knew what you were before I even knew you. <laughs> Pretty big deal, then, huh? Yeah. And uh, with the business side of it, though, make sure your mission statements and values line up and make sure you actually establish those. Yeah. I used to see those inside big corporate buildings, like whatever they have, you know, on their, I was like, whatever, it's just, you know, foo-foo, fuddy-dud stuff that they have on their walls to make everybody feel good. And really, it's not the case, right? Your mission statement should be the goal that everybody's out to achieve for their client or, or whoever your avatar is or how the business functions. And your value should be strong enough and consistent enough that whenever somebody does something wrong, you should be able to point at that board. Yeah. Whenever they read them off, they should know their mistake. You should be able to, before someone's about to be let go, you mm -hmm. can point at the board and say, why did your, were your actions wrong? And they don't coincide and match up to the business. So if you just did those three things, you've got a stronger start than most people. Because most people just hire whoever's convenient around them and said, I want to work or I think I can do that or whatever it is. Yeah. If they don't know anything, you get the right characters that you can work with in the game, then you can train them if once you learn how to train. <laughs> and when you know that they align with your values and your missions, you know that you guys are on the same page and that you will both work as hard towards the same goal. Yeah. So there won't be any issues with not feeling like they're on your side. Yeah, those are three things I wish I could read to because I had a lot of hires and fires, and sometimes I thought it was their fault, it was my fault. It was, I would always say it's my fault because I'm the one that's going to take responsibility for it, but it was my lack of knowledge and knowing how to put the right players around me. And that's where I would do it all over again is have those mission statements in place, values, and analyze my perspective, employees, partners, things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Can you share with us some financial insights or tips that have guided you in the growing of your real estate investing business? Some of the financial insights, I would say be aware of changing markets and things like that. Like, you know, adapt or die. So 
be ready for a transition whenever it comes. It's not something to be wary of, but plan for the future and study the past. Study the you know what we we've seen instead of the past. So like recently, obviously we had 08, right? That's a huge one where so many people still tell us stories about it. That's why I got started in real estate in 2016, 2017, and they were talking about a collapse then. They're still talking about a collapse, and I'm presuming this is a forever thing. Every year somebody's predicting a yeah. real estate market collapse. But it's not something that you have to fear. Just be aware of it. And I would always suggest friends over finances. So if you're relying on banks and lines of credit and your credit score and things like that, those are the things that would be taken away from you during a financial collapse. Friends cannot. Private lenders and things like that cannot. If you've already prepped a group of people to say, hey, whenever the market changes, we're going to start doing this, X, Y, and Z, and we're ready to do that, well, now you're ahead of everybody. So you've got your guys that you're investing with now. If they want to transition with you because you're prepared and you've already built a game plan for this, then great. But if not, you've already have a team lined up that way you can keep going and make sure everybody gets paid back. So those are things to be aware of. Just plan for things to go wrong and you'll be okay. And I say wrong, you're really just having a transition. It'll be going wrong for a lot of people who didn't prepare, who didn't have a plan in place. They said, oh my gosh, this was so unexpected, like we've never seen it before. If you look back in history, you've seen it before, you can study it and prepare for it. And that's that's what I would suggest. Don't build your business on a rocky foundation that can be swiped out from under you, or at least if it is, be ready to transition to a new plan that can uh, resolve it. Yeah. That was good, Chris. <laughs> what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are going through some pressure, some stressful time right now? Zoom out. Zoom out and the world gets real small. You know, I've never heard you say that. I mean, I've heard you be like, I'm thinking. Or like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, well, you're I'm... interrupted. I was mid-Zoom and then you said something. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. We got to keep going. We got to keep going. <laughs> so it helps you analyze like, so how I'm talking about, you know, study the history and, you know, prep for the future. It's hard to do that whenever you're inside the day-to-day. -day. Like, you got to fix what's yeah. going on, right? We got property refinances that are happening today, but hey, you feel panicked about it because it's not going perfect, not going well. Zoom out. Okay, if the market does this, if my credit score does this, what does that actually affect? Okay, well, now that we're zoomed out, there's got to be a way to fix it. Okay, so if that happens, we'll get a private lender to do this, or we'll make a connection where we need to. We'll sell the property, whatever it is in your industry that you need to make happen. Or at some point, you may be like Alex Ramonzi and just decide, hey, it's time for me to shut down all my gyms, sell everything, or, or quit his corporate job that he had, um, and, and go be a personal trainer for $14 an hour. Like, that becomes... And he did that? Yeah, he had a big corporate job, and he's quit all that to be a personal trainer at 14 bucks an hour to start what he actually wanted to do. Um, it's a pretty neat story, but that's only the way he did that is if he has the ability to zoom out. Like he can look at his life and see the past, see the future and say, hey, this makes enough sense for me to go for. And that's, that's the biggest thing. If you're having a lot of stress, it's because you're caught up in the day to day. Back up. Whether you're just doing it internally, back up off the problem, analyze it and see where the outcomes can go and pick the one you want. Yeah. You love him. <laughs> all right last question how do you envision the future of the real estate market and what strategies are you employing to analyze the business and the future yeah so in our business we've uh, started taking a lot of properties subject to because if we pay those off then put my lenders in a second position a lot of times. So if we take a property right now and put a big first position with my lender and the market tanks, if it tanks far enough, there's not enough equity to protect them. 
So if I take these subject to loans that are already in place at low interest rates, and, and what that means is someone else got a mortgage at a two or 3% interest rate, and I'm just taking it over and paying the payment. So where today's payment would be $1,600, my payment's gonna be, you know, a thousand bucks. So for those that are new to real estate and are just getting into this, what does it mean when you have a first position and a second position? Yeah, so first position, we're talking about mortgage placement. So typically a bank, whenever you go buy a property, they put a first position on it. So you're like, oh, I owe $200,000 on my house. Well, that's because the bank put a first position. Yeah. But if you went and got a, a another loan on it, they would have to be in a second position on that property. So first position is the first mortgage holder. A second position is a secondary mortgage holder on the property that you owe money. Got it. Yeah, so we are doing a lot of that. So my lenders, if something did tank, we still have a lot of our financing already in place to cash flow. So if I had to come to my lenders because we couldn't sell and we could still cash flow the property, and I said, hey, you only put thirty dollars or $40,000 in this property, if I rent it out, I can cash flow and still pay you 12% a month. Are you okay with that until the market stays out? It gives us another exit strategy to satisfy a lot of people. If they're in the first position, they're just watching money dwindle away and I can't maintain the property because they've got to get paid and I can't support that. I've either got to sell it for whatever loss is going to be, give them a deed in Louis, so it's highly impactful. But you review history, like we talked about, and figure out exit strategies like this. That's what we go for. Like Obviously, whenever houses start foreclosing, which is typically hap what happens of a, a collapse like that or any type of uh, infrastructure failure in real estate, then you should know how to do short sales because obviously that's gonna be a part of the process. You wanna be able to short mortgage companies and say, hey, the market has tanked, these properties don't have equity, you're trying to sell them where your client is and I would like to buy them, but we need it at a discount. So be aware of what is gonna be necessary, what skills that nobody's utilized in some time that will be functional whenever the time comes. Yeah. So. Chris, what platforms or what websites do you use currently to help you find these real estate properties? PropStream is a huge one for us. So we do a lot of in-house data scraping that takes a pretty good sizable team. We got VAs, we got people that go in person and spend a lot of time curating these lists that I utilize. And uh, it takes a lot of effort, right? Because it seems like the city powers and things act like it's not public data and things like that make it really difficult to acquire and as well. Acquiring and accumulating all the data that way we can stack our list and things like that uh, comes a little hefty But PropStream would be my number one piece of software that I would utilize We use which I'm not going to vouch for any of these skip tracing platforms because but I'll tell you we have used You know batch skip uh, need to skip been verified if you're just yeah. doing one-offs things like that are all useful to at least know where to go find them But there's always a better platform out there. So for PropStream, what does it exactly have that other platforms don't have you have the cheapest access to leads and the most data that you can find nationwide so it's the most consistent economical it's still a pretty economical platform you can get 10,000 leads free from them they have skip mm -hmm. tracing now built in I think they may have mailing and other things they actually have a list stacking ability inside of PropStream now as well so any of these motivations that PropStream can see they can do the the stacking for us it's a, a pretty integrate platform it's not what we utilize for like a crm or something like that we've actually got an in-house crm that we built for our process so we we stick with that but prop streams a day-to-day -day, every single day for analyzing properties is needed so prop stream is actually the sponsor of this video if you want a link it is in the bio and you will have a discount from our code so make sure you go into the show notes to be able to get that code and like Chris said it is definitely worth investing in you pay monthly and that is literally what he uses every single day so check it out and
Would you like to close us out, Christopher? Sounds good. I had no idea she was about to do that, so that's amazing. But that's so worth it. If nobody's, if you don't have PropStream, it's a massive benefit. You at least try if they got a free trial or whatever. Go for that because it's a. You're, you're probably not going to go back if you learn how to search the properties. Yeah. We are going to close out today. I hope you learned something. I hope I gave you some legs to stand on. Maybe you're thinking about just quitting your corporate job. If you're signing that notice right now, go buy some real estate first while you still got it. And, yeah. Uh, and next week, we are going to have Chris interview me. We'll see oh. how that goes. <laughs> he comes out with some juicy questions. <laughs> It'll be a little spicier. <laughs> All right, guys. See you next week. Bye. See ya.